What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk the Podcast. This is Money, and I'm just actually popping in really quick to do an intro to this episode. So, Nikita is not here. She's hard at work on the rig. <laughs> so, send her a bunch of love uh, and let her know she's missed. So, this week, we didn't get a chance to record because she's on the rig. So, we will be uploading uh, Casting and Cues, which is the live um, show that we did at Colgate University, um, thanks to the Center for Women's Studies, Hey Odette, who brought us um, to do a brown bag and the live show. Um, so I just want to tell you a little bit about the event and then some like announcements before we get into the actual episode. So uh, the event was back in January, actually. Uh, if you follow us on Instagram, you saw, like, clips from it and stuff. It was on January 29th. And, like, uh, so we were supposed to do a brown bag during, like, lunchtime and then a live show later that evening. And in true upstate fashion, a huge snowstorm hit, like, right before the live show. And folks still showed up. So we just felt, like, so incredible <laughs> that people braved the weather to come out to see us. They, what I will say about the audience, though, is that they were, like, young students, so I feel like um, a lot of our jokes didn't hit, and that's all right, that's all right, you know, we're still funny, they're just young. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, apparently the Center for Women's Studies at Colgate has been doing these, like, brown bag series for, like, a long time, and I think it's just incredible because our brown bag was about... Um, specifically our experiences as uh, queer black women in podcasting and why we use podcasting as like a a black feminist medium for us. We have now joined this like long legacy of badass people who have done these brown bags at Colgate University. So definitely can't um, thank Odette and the Center for Women's Studies and everybody, all the students, everyone who showed up, um, everybody who was excited to see us there. And the people who participated, uh, thank you to all the tech folks who, who helped us figure out um, the audio. Um, it was great. So, yeah, so that was that was the event. And it was cool. And I'll make sure I upload some photos so that y'all can see. Um, I think we've put up pictures before, though, from the event. But, yeah, um, so that's what the live episode is from. Thankfully, we had it in the vault for y'all for this week. Okay, and just a few announcements before we get into the episode. When y'all, when this episode goes up, it'll be two days from Pod and Live NYC 2019, the largest black podcast meetup um, in the country, brought to you by the homies Janice and Queen at Tea with Queen and Jay podcast. Um, we, I will be there again. Nikita is on the rig and will be missed, but um. I'll be there, and I'll have all kind of Queer Walk-like stickers and shit for y'all. Um, and so I'm really excited about that. I can't wait to meet some of the podcasters that I've been listening to f- for as long as I've been doing Queer Walk um, and get to meet listeners. I always love to meet folks who, like, listen. So make sure to find me. I probably won't be hard to find. I will most likely be wearing um, platforms and be, like, one. So <laughs> I'll be easy to spot. Uh, yeah, and so that is on Saturday at 4 p.m. at Von Bar in New York City. Um, all of that information will be in the um, description box for this episode. So if you are in or around New York City this weekend, come kick it with me and all 
the other podcasters of color that will be there. Um, who knows? You might find one of your new faves. So, Also, I wanted to announce, I guess announce, that um, I will be at the National Conference on Race and Ethnicity in Higher Education, also known as NCORE, this year. Um, I felt like I wanted to just let y'all know on a podcast because uh, I know we are in all kinds of spaces and I've never been to Portland before. So if anybody is in Portland, listen to this. I will be there for like seven days for the conference. I'll be there for the whole duration of it. And that is the last week of May. I'll be there May 28th till like June 2nd. So yeah, I'll be in Portland for a while. So if you are in Portland, Oregon, hit me up. Um, I'll, you know, I'll be conferencing and shit, but I only have one presentation. I will be going to some of my friends' presentations, but I will be mostly available the entire time I'm out there. So I would definitely love to connect with um, queer fam, queer folks. Uh, this conference is kind of going to be like a mini family reunion for me. I'm going to get to see some of my queer siblings that I haven't seen in like years. So I'm super excited and I definitely want to connect with any Queer Walk listeners who may be there. So um, again, that's the National Conference on Race and Ethnicity uh, in core. And I will be there in Portland, Oregon um, from the May 28th to June 2nd. If you're interested, I have a healing as resistance healing space that I'm co-facilitating with one of my siblings, Romeo, on Thursday, the 30th um, of May out out in Portland at Encore. Um, and it starts at 3.30, uh, but it starts like it promptly at 3.30 because, like I said, this is a huge conference and, you know, shit be running over. They be double booking shit. And I just don't, you know, <laughs> we got to be timely. So I will be doing one of my healing spaces out there. So if you want to float through that, um, I'll make sure to put uh, like all of that in the description for this episode too. But yeah, I just definitely wanted to tell y'all that I will be out there. Last but not least, make sure to hit us up on all the things at Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D, um, and send us like topic suggestions, Queer Walk of the Week suggestions, uh, your Curve Chronicles. You can do all of that by hitting the Gmail at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. Um, yeah, so I think that was all I had for y'all. I don't want to talk too much because y'all know uh, we be going ham <laughs> on our episode lengths. So I'm going to jump right into the live episode and I really hope y'all enjoy it. Um, let us know what y'all think because, uh, you know, I I tend to like get exhausted and like kind of sick after doing after doing live shows, and I don't really know like how how well they like go over. You know, like so, there's something about podcast listening that I think is like a really intimate experience. So it's like really different from me and Nikita doing it in my living room to doing it in front of like college students. So uh, let us know what y'all think. And if you would like us to do a live show at your school, you can always hit us at queerwalkpod at gmail.com. All right, I'm gonna jump into the episode. Hi everyone. Thank you for so, thank you so much for braving the snow. Mm -hmm. I know it started like very suddenly. Um, so, Montanique and Nikita were here earlier for a brown bag, so I'm going to just do a quick introduction of who they are, and then we're just going to get started. Um, um, yeah. Um, so, Montanique, um, Money, Mc... Echern. Yeah. I was going to say Urchin for some reason. And I people don't. do that. 
Uh, is a doctoral candidate in family therapy, co-host of Queer Walk Podcast, and a self-identified black queer troublemaker from Queens, New York. With a master's degree in clinical mental health, mental health counseling, her work focuses on queer and trans women in communities of marginalized racial identities. She has presented both locally and nationally on topics related to queer women of color and mental health. Aside from research and clinical work, Money takes pride in twerking wherever the beat moves her to and creating healing spaces for queer people of color. Uh, Nikita Slade is your curmudgeonly and but friendly neighborhood proletarian black feminist. She has been involved in organizing and activism for the past decade. She's been active in fights for environmental reproductive labor and racial justice in Texas and New York. Nikita's also presented a number of conferences, both locally, nationally, and internationally on black feminism, Marxism, labor, and gender. When she's not rabble-rousing, she's listening to disco, Philadelphia soul, 80s R&B, and other old-school jams, and tinkering in her makeshift basement wood shop in true dyke fashion. Um, <laughs> so please help me in welcoming Queer Walk the Podcast. Guess which one is which? No, it's okay. as much as we do yeah <laughs> it's a bop yes shout out to truth for the intro music how do we make this whole thing like y'all had it before hit that green like okay nailed it all right what up y'all welcome to queer walk the podcast i am money the Ooh. oh the leather lesbian dyke nice because i've been wearing leather like all day i've been serving leather looks what well, pleather looks <laughs> <laughs> And I am Nikita, and today I'm your friendly neighborhood gay grand zaddy with my cardigan. Zaddy, grand zaddy yeah. with a Z. Gender neutral uh, grandparent term. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to catch on. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> For that hashtag. Yes. Speaking of hashtags, if you're going to like tweet or post about this event as we're going through, the hashtag for the podcast is queer, W O C, hashtag Q U E R W O C. And the hashtag for the event is... Casting in... Colgate. I thought we were going to do casting in Q. Colgate. It makes sense to do casting in Colgate. But we're from Syracuse. We just want people to know that there are podcasts upstate. So whichever one you choose. Either one. Because right. the hashtag, we just want people to know that there are podcasts upstate, is too long. So <laughs> <laughs> whichever one, casting in Q's or casting in Colgate, it still works. Okay. Is what my point. It still works. Potato, potato. Anyway, there are other places where you can find us on the social media. So you, whatever. Oh, sorry. I'm just excited. I just want to tell people where they can find us. She be acting up for live episodes. 
Anyway. Where can people find us, Nikita, I'm so when glad we're you, not live? I'm so glad you asked, because I'm going to tell you. You can find us on Instagram, and our handle is at QueerWalkPods, the same handle on Instagram or oh, on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook, which is QueerWalk, colon, the podcast. You can also send us an email. Let's say you want to send something a little bit more personal, a little bit more private. You can do that at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. And wherever you're listening, as Money already said, use the hashtag, hashtag QueerWOC. Yes. Where can they listen? You can listen to us on Google Play, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to podcasts. And I also forgot to mention that this is the 50th year, 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Rebellion and riots. So you, don't you want to bring us, your favorite black queer troublemakers, to your favorite university, your favorite bookstore, your favorite community group? You can also do that by, again, sending us an email to queerwalkpod at gmail.com. Yes. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. So, money. Yes. I've told the listeners where they can find us. Do you want to tell them how they can contribute to this here program? I sure will. Um, So there are two main ways that you can contribute to Queer Walk the Podcast. The first is monetarily. You might not miss $2, but you will miss us. Um, So if you would like to contribute monetarily to help sustain this here program, because podcasting ain't cheap. Uh, you know, we didn't even know about this feedback mic situation. Right. I feel like we got to step our mic game we up. We really do. Um, you can do so one of two ways. One is by hitting us on Cash App. Our Cash App is dollar sign queer walk pod. That's P-O-D. Um, or you can become a patron, which is just a monthly way to send us $2. Or any, any um, amount that you feel comfortable with. We just suggest... Um, you know, we have some uh, levels there. No amount is too small or too big uh, to donate monthly. But Patreon, for those of you who aren't familiar, is just like a sustained way to um, donate. And you can do that at patreon.com slash queerwalkpod, P-O-D, again. And it's important because we depend on you because there's not going to be that many corporations or people with power who, go, who are going to be excited to fund a queer women of color socialist feminist podcast. Or so, pay for our pleather. Or our pleather needs. Yes. So since we're on the topic of garments, <laughs> another way you can support the podcast is through community. So we do this because we want to be in community with other queer women of color, other queer folks of color. Um, And so using the hashtag is a way of supporting the podcast, sharing an episode, referring a friend, telling someone about us, maybe suggesting an episode as listening instead of readings for a class that you're taking. Put us on your syllabus. That's what we're trying to say. Yes, cite black women. And we have swag. So if you would like some swag, we have Gimme a Glucose Guardian t-shirts, $20. We also have the Mental Moment with Money t-shirts, which is my segment that y'all will hear a bit later, uh, for $20. And we have free 99 stickers. So (laughs) that is also a way you can support the podcast. All righty. All right. So you want to move it on along, Nikita, to the Queer Walk walk, walk, walk of the the Week. And Money, what is the Queer Walk of the Week? The Queer Walk of the Week is the segment where we highlight a baddie, a queer woman of color who is fucking it up politically, socially, um, academically, in any way that is 
furthering the community. And so, yeah, every episode we highlight somebody. And so, can I talk about this one? You didn't give me a chance to say who's uh, our queer walk of the week this week. Money? All right, I just didn't know if you was gonna like jump in and be like, "That's why the queer walk of the week this week." And I was like, "No, I want to." Will wanna. you just do the segment? <sighs> okay. Who's the queer walk of the week? So the queer walk of the week this week is Cecilia Chung, and so I'm gonna tell y'all why Cecilia is our queer walk of the week this week. And like I said, this highlights a baddie fucking it up. Cecilia falls right into that category. Um, So Cecilia is a trans rights activist and has been so for more than 20 years. Um, She's the leading Asian American civil rights activist um, who's been advocating in like political spaces and but also socially and like organizing for over 20 years. Originally from Hong Kong, uh, she lived in Australia for high school and then moved to San Francisco for college. So well, she's been a, a trans woman of color on like three different continents. Damn. Like, that's an accomplishment. Uh, <laughs> so, like so many um, trans folks of color experience, um, it wasn't easy for Cecilia when she was coming out and her family. And so, she actually uh, ended up kind of like dealing with homelessness throughout um, her late teens in the early 90s um, and was a sex worker until 1993 when she discovered that she was um, HIV positive. And at that time, I'm thinking, you're a homeless trans woman of color in San Francisco, which is supposed to be like this queer mecca, um, and you discover that you are positive. That, that would just like devastate so many people. But like the baddie she is, she flipped it and, and created this whole organization called Positively Trans, which is a project addressing the structural inequalities mm. that lead trans folks of color sure. to be in these spaces and situations in which they have to have like survival sex right. and often put them at like higher risk for contracting mm-hmm. um, things like HIV, right? And so she's been the director of that for mad years, but... As if that isn't enough, she's also on the presidential committee for HIV and AIDS. I didn't even know that was a thing. I, must, I didn't even know that there was a presidential <laughs> yes. committee on AIDS. Yes. There's apparently some sort of advisory council that the current president has not yet disbanded. That's what I was about to say. Uh, I'm surprised it hasn't been ripped away. It's probably been taken off the website, but it still exists. Um, and she's been serving as a member since uh, the early 2000s. Um, and so I just wanted to read a few qu- quotes from Cecilia because I think so much of what we do on a podcast is like try to put the words of these women into mm-hmm. the space so you can just feel the full like fullness of how dope they are. Um, and so she was actually interviewed by Raquel Willis, who is another trans woman of color baddie. Uh, if y'all don't know Raquel, please look her up. Um, and actually... Uh, when this episode goes up, we'll, I have a link that I can post to the interview. It's really good if you have a chance to read it. Um, but she was talking about essentially like why she became an activist, right? Like why, why not just like exist sure. in herself, but, but to politicize her identities? She said, <clears throat> I've, I have always been an angry child and I always tried to We were talking about anger earlier. Uh, And I've always tried to find fault with the real world. I think becoming an activist was just a natural development from that. It got to a point where I realized all the things I didn't stand for, especially injustice. Mm. 
Um, and so she goes on in the interview when Raquel asks her, like, what does she want her legacy to be? Like, what does she want to be remembered for? And I just love this quote. Oh, my gosh. She said, I want people to remember me as someone who really tried to live unconditional love, not by demanding it, but by practicing it. Mm. And I think that's just so beautiful for someone who's, like, like rough experiences led them to like cre- literally creating the circumstances to where people don't have to live Absolutely. those experiences. Yeah. So yes, huge shout out to Cecilia Chung, um, all the ashes and whoop whoops to her. We will, like I said, post a link when this episode goes live. Just yeah, snaps for Cecilia. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'd never heard of Cecilia, so thank you so much for bringing that to our You know, I'll be trying to put you on. You do. Musically. Okay. Activistly. All right, all right. You don't be doing that much. I just feel like you're, like, low-key failing as a millennial, and so I just... Because I'm not hip? Yes. Because I don't know the new popping jams, the tunes and all that. The fact that you call them popping jams and tunes makes my point. But continue. But the point remains... We are all richer for now knowing about Cecilia Chung. You're welcome. So thank you. All right. So do we want to move it on along? To We're still working through the jingle for this segment. Because oh, yeah. I want it to be like, community contributors. Yeah. It's like, a, that's terrible. That <laughs> 1920s, I don't even know what to call that. It's like a 1920s soap ad. Soap? Yeah. Damn. It's just not good. Okay. Well, we said we wanted it to be disco themed. Yeah. You're the disco. No, I'm, no. I mean, I am. I do love disco, but I don't think I could do like a Donna Summer sort of tease to the jingle. What's like disco? It's just like breathy. Yeah, that's what it is. Community, community, contributors. That's it! That's not it. That's not not the move. I like it. Anyway, what is this segment about? Why do we have this section on community contributors? So community contributors is the segment of this here program where we highlight the folks who make it possible for us to keep doing this, people who have, like, shouted us out, uh, monetarily contributed, Mm -hmm. Or just done something to, like, help us sustain Queer Walk. Right. So, you wanna... do we want to... Do you want me to tell, say who the community contributors are? Yes. Oh, so we are so excited about this community contributor who is also a baddie and just a general amazing person. And our community contributor for this week is Odette. So you all may know her as the program coordinator here. Um, and if it wasn't for her, we, we wouldn't would not be, here be here right now. So how, I mean, how, this literal community in this room was made possible because of Odette. Absolutely. I have more selfies with her than I do with Nikita. So, Whatever. <laughs> we love you. And as like a token of our appreciation for you being a community contributor, please pick a shirt, whichever shirt yes. you want. <laughs> so... Thanks, Odette. And if you want to be fly, just like Odette, wearing your nice Queer Walk merch, you can, again, purchase it on the table. <laughs> We've got T-shirts for $20. You had somebody else? You... No, that was our main community contributor. Okay, because you said you want me to say them. Oh, no. 
It's it's the one and only. Okay. Odette. All right. Because I was like them as like gender neutral or like them as multiple people. It's a valid question. It's not one person. Anyway. All right. All right. So you don't have a jingle for me. The point remains. I am so offended. I feel like you've been phoning it in on my segment. Phoning it in. Okay, so let me give y'all a little backstory. Oh if this is like your first introduction she to Queer loves Walk, a right? Backstory, because it's relevant. It's going to be over exaggerated, embellished nonsense. But let first of all, go ahead. It's not. It very isn't. I I say nothing but factual facts. Secondly, Trumpian facts. <laughs> That, that's a little All right, they're not, they're not Trumpy in Okay. They, they derive from some reality. Nikita used to do a jingle for my Mental Moment segment every time. Right, Odette? I remember. Yes, and it would always be a song that I had no idea about because it came out before I was even born. That's not true. They would, they would be like 90s R&B-inspired jams. Like I said, before I was born. You were born in 89. <laughs> Damn, you had to like put it out there like that? You old, I'm old. It's all right. No. I am the youth. Um, no, the the students here are the youth. Oh my god, we're far past youth. They're teenagers. Um. Anyway, so she used to do these jingles, and they would be really good and like so creative to the tune of, of again songs that I wasn't familiar with. And she just hasn't done a jingle in so long, and I just feel so uncared for as a friend. Like. You like laid it, was, it it's on. It's the one real thing fit. I ask of you as a friend. That's not it. Oh, for, so forget all this. It's psychosocial, emotional support I give. I don't come up with a 10-second jingle. It just and feels our friendship different. is done. It feels different. Anyway, the point remains, I still contribute to this podcast. Do you? And I, <laughs> You know what? I will go on strike right now. Anyway. I, don't, I won't allow you to strike. Spoken so- like, <laughs> I'm not going to say, it okay. rhymes with drump. Anyway. <laughs> you will not. The record will not show that you called me Trump twice in an episode. I, I didn't say I said Trumpy in like <laughs> in the adjective. It's like like that. Who uses that as an adjective? I do. Oh my gosh! Can we move on? Anyway, this is my segment. You can't introduce the, your own segment. You don't have a jingle. The for point. Me. Oh, stop. Anyway, we are now going to go on to the mental moment with money. So, what is this segment about? Why do we have it? You're supposed to introduce it. What is the so this? So I didn't have a jingle, but honestly, see how I'm not loved. As the a point is, this is my favorite segment, and I think it's the most concrete segment. Doesn't seem so like this your is a favorite. segment where Money uses her therapizing credentials because she does have a limited license, and she's working on this PhD real hard. The point remains: this is a wonderful segment where she gives us really concrete strategies and tools. Um, us so that we can heal and just so we can, you know, not just be in the world all, you know, twisted up in a mess. So, with no further ado, the mental moment with money. That's right. Where else can you find a queer podcast with a licensed therapist? Um, so, yes, this this mental moment, I um, I feel like it's so, like, timely with the weather and being on college campus, I wanted to give y'all tips on how to wish away anxiety. Okay, so wish is an acronym, and it's spelled 
W S S H. Um, <laughs> for for those who have listened to other episodes, y'all know I love a, a weird acronym. She so, does. Um, and alliteration. So, <laughs> to wish away anxiety. All right. So before I go into like these strategies that I've sort of like come up with working with folks uh, who deal with anxiety and like dealing with my own anxiety, like like you said, I've been trying to. Hack away at this uh, dissertation. So um, before I get into that, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what anxiety does in our brains. And so to like get us on a train of like why WSSH works mm. um, to like wish away anxiety. Right. All right. So I'm going to talk about brain science, but I promise I'm going to do it in a way where like y'all will understand. Because when I took like the neuroscience class, I was just like, why am I here? I'm a therapist. Uh, you and were, I didn't get any of it. You're a total nerd. You're probably like, oh, I want to learn so much about the brain. No, I really, I, they make it inaccessible, right? Okay. They, they make it to where like, you don't, you, this literally a saying, like, it's not a brain surgery. You know, it's like, uh, they make it shame. to where like, you don't feel like you can talk about it. That's why I'm here. So, <laughs> so I want to talk, anxiety is, a, is essentially... Our body's stress response gone like out of control. It's like it, it's a runaway train, right? So it's like a, a a normal response that our body has that we actually need to like survive and stuff. But what happens when you have like generalized anxiety disorder or like test anxiety and stuff like that? It's like that typical response that our body is supposed to have, like loses all control. And I'm going to tell y'all why it does that, right? So there's a part of our brain called the amygdala, which is the it, like the angry amygdala. That's how I remember it, because it starts with an A, right? And basically, the angry amygdala is like... I think about the angry amygdala, amygdala as like my cousin that I definitely don't tell when somebody says something to me because I know she's going to fight them, right? So like <laughs> she's always ready, right? And that's the, that's the amygdala. And the thing about the amygdala is that it's not sensitive to, um, to stress hormones. So it can literally pop off all the time, just like my cousin, right? So, <laughs> so that's the amygdala. And it, it can you, um, you can imagine, this is our body's first line of defense. Like when, when stress enters our body and like the hormones get released, the amygdala is the first part that gets that response, right? And so there's this other part of our brain called the cortex. It's the cool cortex. It's kind of like the rational one, the one that you would actually call to get real solutions to your problems, not the pop-off cousin, right? But the problem with the cool cortex is that it is sensitive to stress hormones. And so sometimes it takes a long time for the cool cortex to get that message, right? So just think about it. If you're calling for help, um, usually you don't, the first person you tell is not the cool, rational person. You want to call the person first that's going to be like, they did what? <laughs> she said she ain't going to do what to who? You know, that's Let's the Let's find out and see. <laughs> you know, so that's why the cortex usually gets the message a little later. But the hype hippocampus, so think about this, right? You're in a situation. The hippocampus is supposed to be the one that gets the message to the cortex. The hippocampus is like, the person with their cell phone recording when some shit is happening, right? It's like, oh, like back in the day, it used to be the person that would scream, world, world star, star, right? That's the hippocampus. <laughs> but again, 
also sensitive to stress hormones. So where does that leave our body? With the angry amygdala. Just going, right? Like popping off. And so the goal is to get the stress hormones to like slow down enough so that the hype hippocampus can get their phone out and record and actually get the message to the cool cortex, mm. right? So I just wanted to explain that. Like that's the process that happens in our brain as to why like anxiety goes out of control. So how do we get those like stress hormones to go away? Well, we need to do things that activate the cortex and the hippocampus and reduce the stress hormones, right? That's wish, right? The first thing, writing. I know y'all are like, mm. but <laughs> writing is actually a really good hack to get your cortex back online. Because like I said, the cortex is the rational reasoning part of your brain. It's, it's the one that's like, the old wise woman, right? So to get that rational reasoning, you have to, when you're writing, you're not only have to like find language and put language to stuff, but you actually have to use like motor skills, right? Mm. So writing is a, such a great way to get your cortex to start paying attention again. That's the W in the whoosh. The first S, you good? You need tissue? Okay. <laughs> the first S is scanning. Um, and so this is more like a body scan. One of my favorite body scans that I do um, when I'm feeling like anxiety is kicking my behind is a progressive muscle relaxation. Has anybody ever heard of that? Oh, good. Yay. Okay. So a progressive muscle relaxation, you can do it anywhere, anytime. It's literally you just tense up a muscle, some part of your body, and release it. Tense it and release it. And so, like, sometimes I'll go through my arms, like, I'll tense my hands, and I'll release it. I hold a lot of, like, tension in my shoulders. So I'll pull my shoulders as, like, high up as I can get them and then release it. Squeeze your muscles, like, together like this as hard as you can and then release it. That's a progressive. It's called progressive because you're doing one muscle group at a time, right? Pro progressive muscle relaxation. I like it because it's like an instant feel. Like you can feel the release when you let go. I was about to say, go. what's the purpose of doing that? Yeah, it's the it's the release. So a lot of times when we feel anxious, like we completely lose sensory stuff with oh, our okay. bodies. Okay. And so you'll be like grinding your teeth and not know it, like clenching your jaw, not know it. Like me, my shoulders up here and not even recognize it. Some people have like rubbing things that they do when they're anxious, don't even recognize that they're doing it, right? So when you pull attention to a muscle group or a part of your body, that's, again, bringing your body back okay. online, your okay. brain back online. So that's scanning, the first S. The second S is sensing. Um, and so this is activating all five of your uh, senses. I did, on another mental moment, um, an anxiety countdown. So like five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can touch, two things you can taste, and one thing you can smell, mm -hmm. right? It's just like, again, making your brain think. You're hacking your own brain. You're forcing the angry amygdala to chill out because you want to talk to the cortex, not the amygdala. So the anxiety countdown, great uh, suggestion. Or some some people even like intuitively know what sense they need to activate in order to calm down. 
Like, um, one of our good friends, she, for her, is smelling something, right? So she's feeling super anxious in the moment. She'll take, like, um, essential oils and, like, put it on her wrist and, like, smell it. You know, it's like that will just, like, bring her back to a moment and, like, calm down, right? Um, Or some smells, because smell is the sense that's most closely tied to, like, memory. And, like, what happens with memory? Like, your body is, like, recalling stuff. So it's all about, like, thinking, putting your brain back online. Um, so sometimes it's just like the smell of food. You're like, oh, ooh, that was good. Like when I had that last time, you know, and so it like brings you back to the moment. Yeah, so that's the second S, sensing. So H, the last letter of whoosh, is holding. And I I was thinking about changing this, holding, because really what I mean by holding is just holding space for yourself. Slow down. Like chill out relax. <laughs> a lot of times in, when I'm in session with clients and what I see from my friends, it's like everybody has 10 plates spinning and they trying to be 12 places at one time. Mm-hmm. You feel attacked, Jake? <laughs> 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 yeah. And so it's just like you in that process and it's almost the way that like the world demands us to be right now. Right. But it's unhealthy, right? We, we forget to eat. You go hours without drinking water. I'm mm-hmm. trying to do, you know, trying to drink water more. Um, you know, you just forget about yourself. And so the the H is for just holding space for yourself. Slow down. What do you need in a moment? Can you even recognize what you need? Right. I can go back to writing. Make yourself a little list in the margin of a piece of paper. What do I need right now? Um, yeah. So I hope this helps to wish away anxiety. W, writing. S, scanning. S, sensing, H, holding. I feel like that was so helpful. That's so good because it's like when you're talking about uh, anxiety being a stress response, like going out of control, I feel like Mm -hmm. all of these things, I think the word that was like going through my head as you were saying all these things is like intentional. It's like when you're out of control, you're not moving with Mm -hmm. any sort of intention. And I feel like these small things are like making you, um, like you're being intentional about like coming back, like trying to get back into control. And again, like this is this is the the thing that I love about this segment is that it's always like concrete strategies. It's not like, oh my God, I have to go into explore the depths of my psyche yeah. of my childhood. It's like, no, what are the things that I That's can not, do right now right. to bring me back to like yeah. equilibrium. That's I, how I, really I am as a therapist that. is like of course I'm going to do the deep shit with you because that's what you come to therapy sure. for. But I never want somebody to feel so unpacked that they don't come back, right? right. So it's like you you could go deep, but then it's like, okay, but what are we going to do between now and next week when I yep. see you? Yep. You know, it's like it's not just this exercise and me being nosy of like, ooh, girl, tell me what happened. I, <laughs> like, I'm trying to help you, right? I, I want you to feel like you are in control yep. of your, your body, your narrative, mm-hmm. your experiences. And in order to do that, like you need homework, tools, yeah. something that you could pick up and be like, okay, I could do that at home. Right. So yeah, that's my style. All right. I try, you know, I try to give you stuff. I be therapizing. Why are you doing that meme? <laughs> I, I mean, that's how I feel, you know? <laughs> People be like, what you do? I'm like, I, I be terrified. <laughs> oh, you're so ridiculous. Okay. All right. Shall we move it on along? Ding, 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 ding. And now, our bi-weekly word from our wonderful womanist worker, wordsmith wizard, Nikita. Ding, 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 ding. 
Yeah. <laughs> See how much love was in that introduction? <laughs> Alliterative, everything. Accurate. You just can't help yourself with the alliterations. I, I really accurate. <laughs> All right. So this is the segment where Nikita tries to break down um, jargon. Really? That's how you're going to do it? <laughs> okay. So the word, as we lovingly call this segment, is where Nikita, who is an organizer, has been organizing for over a decade, um, takes a word or a concept or some social justice co- uh, thing and really explains it to us and, like, why why it matters to us as, like, queer folks of color, um, why we should all be, like, ready to uh, take up torches and burn down capitalism, <laughs> like, all those things. I've never said that about the word, but I don't disagree with that message. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that um, one of the things I say all the time is that... I th- a lot of times we're all using the same language, but after you just have a discussion with somebody for a little bit, it's like we all use the same language, but we don't always mean the same things by the, mm-hmm. by the terms, right? So when I talk about these terms or when I try to break down terms, I'm always trying to do it. Like this is my perspective. This is what my experience and this is what my like analysis how th- how those experiences and analyses lead me to understand these terms. So the word that I wanted to choose for today um, is power. And so I kind of want to talk a little bit, just kind of like broadly about power, but I also want to mainly bring in some of my experiences because it's like what I've, what I've noticed in organizing off campuses and on campuses that there's, there's some similarities, I think, in how power tries to operate. So before we get, there's a, I'm going to give you a definition and it's from Huey P. Newton, but before we give, before we get there, um, society, I think, especially in the current political and economic moment that we live in, it, there's a lot of ways that society tries to give us the illusion that we have power, right? And so I'm mainly thinking about like political power, but we also see this in like, you know, in terms of like economic power. So there's this guy who I feel like I talk about him on the show all the time. His name is Jared Ball. He's got this website called I Mix What I Like. And he has a really phenomenal, sharp piece called uh, The Myth of Black Buying Power. So the idea is that these marketing companies, they say that like black people have like a trillion dollars in like quote unquote spending power. And it's like, but that's not any sort of real translation into black people having any sort of wealth. Right. And it's like, it's the power. So what they're talking about power in that instance is like the power for black people to make companies money. Right. But that's, Mm -hmm. that's not any sort of power. Like personal power. Right. That's not any kind of power that has to do with us. Right. Uh, with black people or oppressed people in general. Um, and so when you think about like movements of the past, specifically in like the 60s and the 70s, one of the things that they were very serious about when they were on the ascendancy is that they were talking about taking power, right? And it's like, it's not just talking about, and I think that what has happened is that we've, you know, the ruling class or the people in charge see the things um, see these movements on the ascendancy, on the rise, and then they take things and then they co-opt them. So now the thing that we talk about, everyone is always talking about like empowerment, right? That's not the same thing as collectively taking power or exercising power. And oftentimes when we talk about empowerment, it's usually about like an individual sort of thing. And I feel like, like the most concrete example of this is like the Sheryl Sandberg, right? We just gonna lean in, right? And it's like, 
Girl, women's oppression has been around for 5,000 years. You think somebody didn't think, let me try leaning in? Let me let me just try to put this arm on the table. <laughs> right, let me wear, a, let me wear shoulder pads and a power suit <laughs> and see if that helps me get a raise, right? <laughs> and it's like, so I think it's often about like this individual sort of personal thing. But I think most importantly when people talk about like empowerment, you're usually, they're usually talking about being empowered to enter into society on its own terms, on the, on the society's terms and on the, the terms of the powerful. So somebody like a Sheryl Sandberg will be like, well, I just need to be just as rough and tumble as the, the men in the boardroom, right? And it doesn't say, well, actually, maybe the boardroom is not the place that should be having as much power in yeah. the say-so in our society, mm-hmm. right? And then, like, you know, when you think about empowerment, it's like, who is doing the empowering, right? Because if somebody has the ability to give you power, then that means that they also have the power to take it away. To take away the power, yeah. right? So, I think, and it's kind of like go uh, ahead. It, empowerment and all those empowerment frameworks to me feel like allowance. Like when you get allowance as a kid, exactly. It's like here's some cookies. You still ain't making enough to like pay rent on your own, right? Like, but you know, it's like. Just enough, just what we allow. And I think, like, the honestly, that example of like a parent and a kid is like a good example because it's like, I was, I, I, don't, I don't know why I was on the parenting block. I ain't got no kids. I, you know, it just, it just be 3 a.m., you know, you can't sleep and you just be like, what's, in, what's on the internet? But the, anyway, what I was. did you Google to get I don't, there? It's neither here nor there. But it was like trying to give your kids options. So it's like, either you can like take a time out or you can clean your room now. But it's like, and so the kid feels empowered that they have a decision, but they only have power within the decisions that they're yeah. within the options that their parent gave them. Yeah. Right? That's not any kind of. They can't be like, "Mom, I don't ever want to have a bedtime ever again." That's not an option that was on the table. Yeah. Right. And so the definition of power that I think is really useful that I really appreciate is Huey P. Newton from the Black Panther Party. And so, so he defines power as. If I can find it in my notes. This is funny because you think this is just because it's a live show that she's flipping through pages. She does this when we record. In her living room. Anyway, so (laughs) Huey Newton says, to us, power is, first of all, the ability to define phenomena. And secondly, the, the ability to make these phenomena act in a desired manner. That, that, that's such a good definition of power. And so the first point, he said, the ability to define phenomena. And I think in our society, it's like, I think that the right wing is, I think they get power and I think that they understand it. And I think that, and so for me, it's not just to be able to define a reality, but once you define reality, then you set the terms of the discussion, of the, yes. of the debate. And so I feel like for an example, you know, it's Queer Walk, mm-hmm. when I think about how they've defined the conversation on like queerness, right? So it's like, so the argument for the longest time has been either you're born gay or you're not. And it's like the the right was the one that set the terms of that discussion, right? And so they say you're not born gay, and then that immediately puts liberals in the position to say where you are. And it's like that actually doesn't fully encapsulate how people come to know their identities and their desires. But once the the discussion is set within those terms, you're already put in a position of arguing on their terms, right? So again, going back to the uh, Huey P. Newton... um, uh, definitions like first the ability to define phenomena. You, oh, sorry, and no. then I'm just I'm gonna make this point. Mm-hmm. And secondly, the ability to make these phenomena act in a desired manner. So going back to the example of like you know whether you're born gay or not, it's like if 
if if it is such that they say that um, you're not born gay, then again, the ability to make these phenomena act in a desired manner, then the then the the what flows from that is if you're not born gay, then you deserve X, Y, and Z sorts of oppression right. and uh, treatment. Right. Right. Yeah. And like in thinking about me as a therapist, like things like conversion therapy like are born, you know, because it's like the belief that you are choosing or like this is some sort of like mental illness Choice, and right. we can like coach you and, and therapize you out of it. Right. Yeah. And it, and it's like, and the reality is that it doesn't matter how you get there. You're there and just for the sheer fact you're there, that you're, you're a queer. human being. <laughs> right. You're here, queer, fabulous, don't fuck with this. What's yeah. the trend? Yeah. And it's like that, that, that's the end of this, the, the discussion. But mm-hmm. right, that should be how we, that is how we should have that discussion. But because they've had the ability to define, you know, the reality and then, you know, make, make outcomes act in that way, they've been mm-hmm. able to define. We've been, um, like, that doesn't actually help us capture the full range of, like, human sexuality. And it's not the argument, I think, in which, up, upon which we base our liberation, right? Whether you're born that way or not. Um, so this is just kind of, so in this, like, next part, I just kind of want to talk about just some of my, just these patterns that I've noticed um, between like organizing on campus and then like organizing off campus. Yes. And so, like I was saying earlier, it's like so the society that we live in. It always wants to give us the illusion that we're that we have power, and these institutions do the same thing. So um, back, I don't, I can't remember when this was. It had to be like 2013 or so. Uh, at SU Syracuse University, I think there was a black fraternity. I think it was at the NPHC, right? So the Divine Nine, like historically uh, black Greek letter organizations, had a party on campus. Mm -hmm. And then I think the the police came and they, you know, they did what police do and they brutalized people at the party. It it was terrible, right? And so what ended up happening is that the... So there was massive outrage, right? And so, again, the people in power at the university, they were like, oh, wow, you know, these kids are pissed off. We better do something. So what they did was they put on a town hall or a forum, right? And then what they did was they selected, quote, unquote, leaders, and I'm going to come back to that, to have this discussion, right, and to, about what happened. And it's like... And again, so they picked who was going to be a part of that discussion, and they picked that the and they picked even them picking the forum was like Mm -hmm. there's other ways that people could have responded to that, but that again that's them um, setting the terms setting the terms of what should happen, right? And so what I thought was really um, interesting, and I've seen parallels um, within organizing because I'm also a part of uh, BLM in Syracuse, and it's like there's and the the Syracuse Police Department is rife uh, with not just rife with um, officers who've committed atrocities and, and abuses and brutality against people in the community, but they they don't they don't ever suffer any kind of consequences. So what happened um, in the community is that the old police chief was uh, he was retired. He was retiring, and then there was a search for a new police chief. So what they did, so like remember, SU did a listening. They did a um, they did a Town forum, hall, yeah. and then when uh, when it was time to hire a new police chief in Syracuse, they did listening sessions. So you could go and you can talk to say these are the things that you care about, but you have, you get input, but you don't have any real power to to choose a to, to choose right. the. 
a police chief or even if you want a police chief, right? And again, so they say this is this it is upon so it's like we're gonna have a police chief. Right. Yeah. And we'll hear what you gotta say, but at the end of the day, who right. gets to make the decision? It's not like they had like a list of the candidates and like everybody got to vote in right. the actual room. Like you show up to vote on this? Exactly. Yeah, like raise your hand for contestant number four. You right. know, like that's not that, happening. That didn't happen. Yeah. And um and so what they do is like the similar to like on campus and then off campus is that they'll say, oh, well, you know, we've t-, or they'll say that we've talked to community leaders. And it's like, who, who do these community leaders, student leaders, community leaders, who are they working on behalf of? Right. Who has who has said that these are the people that I want representing me and then they carry and they represent my interests mm-hmm. to other people in mm-hmm. power? Because I remember for the SU, when they had that forum, they just picked, I think it was like the president of the um, NAACP. And as far as I knew at that time, he wasn't in community with like other organizations. Nobody had said, hey, you're the president. These are the demands and the interests that we want you to be articulating at this forum. And so I I think when we talk about power for our side, like the power for like the oppressed, the exploited, and the working class, anytime we talk about leadership and power, it's like these are people who are working on our behalf have. And so a, a big part about power is that you have to be um, accountable to somebody. One of the one of my favorite examples is that there is a, so Kwame Ture, formerly known as uh, Stokely Carmichael, gave this really wonderful um, example of Fannie Lou Hamer. So Fannie Lou Hamer, you know, the amazing brilliant organizer um, in Mississippi who was fighting, uh, not just for the right to vote, but just, you know, fighting for like human dignity, specifically mm-hmm. the dignity of black people um, in like the Jim Crow South. One of the stories that he tells is when they were going to um, the Atlantic uh, the convention uh, for the Democratic uh, to, for the Democratic uh, Party so you know they were forming the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party and they were fighting for seats to be represented to have some real say in the Democratic Party so the Democrats came back and said that they could have like one or two seats and they were like we've been bludgeoned over the head we've been beaten we've had dogs sicked on us in order to have the right to vote there've been these ridiculous and racist laws poll taxes and you have the unmitigated gall the audacity to say that we only get two seats and the way that uh, Kwame Ture talks about this is that because you know, Fannie Lou Hamer was working on, he said that there was no way that Fannie Lou Hamer was going to come back to the black folks in Mississippi who had the dogs sicked on with them, two who seats. had with two seats. Yeah. And it's like, that is somebody who was, who was, who was in, who had, you know, power, you know, vis-a-vis the rest of her community and who was acting on her community's behalf, right? And so that's something I think uh-huh. that is important, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, not, it's because of something that people in power try to do and what I've learned through my experience is that, they often want to do um, these one-on-one private meetings. Yes. Right? Don't, yeah. don't, and it's a, yeah. another form of power. We know the only power that we have is numbers. We right. don't have the resources. We don't have the money and the influence that they have outside of power. Mm-hmm. So something that I, we always do in our meetings when we go to meet with anybody in power is that we bring a whole bunch of people. Everybody's showing I up. I remember we went to a meeting. And they, it used to be when I used to uh, be on staff at our local worker center. We went to a meeting and someone was like, wow, what worker center really rolls deep. And it's like, yeah, we're going to bring yeah. 10, 15 people into a meeting because 
we don't we're not trying to do back deal private yeah, you know yeah. i scratch your back you scratch mine it's like if there's something that you can say to like you know one one of us, one of us you, then you can say it to the rest of us and going back to what i was saying earlier about power and accountability it's like then whatever commitments you make in that meeting there are 15 people who have heard but who have heard what you said that you will or will not do and then that gives us the power to actually escalate exactly right mm-hmm. and so i mean i think and another good like concrete example of power just recently is like the government shutdown right because everybody and their mama wants to give credit to nancy pelosi and it's like well if she had all this power how come she didn't ex- exercise it you know 30 something days ago but it's not a coincidence when you have the president of the flight attendants and when you have tsa workers you know there's like a seven percent rise in you know tsa workers not showing up that is workers exercising their power and, and in two hours the government was shut down and so that was an exercise of workers displaying and demonstrating the power that they have it ain't got a damn thing to do with Nancy Pelosi or any of these other bourgeois liberal Democrats who do nothing for us. Oh yeah, we take a lot of shots at the Democrats, <laughs> the right? Democrats so, so yeah, I take program. you know shots at Trump. Oh. That's that's low hanging fruit, but we also exactly. uh, take um, shots at these um, these spineless, know nothing, uh, loser Democrats. And the <laughs> other thing that I wanted to say that I've also learned, and so so this is what I want to say to you students: anytime they put you, they want to put you on a working group or a task force, mm-hmm. you say, so going back to the examples of um, of like police brutality, we have a citizen's review board in Syracuse, and it's supposed to hold the um, police accountable. And side note, they use the term citizen, of course, you know, if it was up to me, I would say community review board, so to not leave out folks who are undocumented. But the CRB, the Citizens Review Board in Syracuse, has been around, I think, since the 90s, so 20, 30-something years. And they've made 75 recommendations to the Syracuse Police Department, and the police department has implemented none of them. Exactly. So that is an, that is an institution, that is an entity that has no real power in that community. So I say that to say, when you get invited to be on a working group or some kind of task force, you say, does this entity or organization have decision-making power? Then you say, you know what, uh, Chancellor or President, I'll tell you what you can do with your task force. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, and again, going back to the example of the police chief, it's like, Mm -hmm. do you have the ability to define phenomena and then have it act in a desired way? And if you do that, then you don't have any real power, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And just the last thing um, that I want to say is that, in my experience, is that, that I think that there's a difference between power and courage. Because there's a lot of people who have power. Like, I, I used to just be ready to flip over tables, Jesus style, right? Because Jesus we, style. You know, he turned over tables. That's what they say in the Bible and whatnot. I don't know him. So uh, but, I, don't know him. I mean, you okay. know, you know, I, I know the historical Jesus, not the supernatural one. Okay, got All it. All right. Anyway, <laughs> um, the point is, is um, we would go to these meetings, right? And I remember when we were working on the, um, you know, a campaign, and we had to do some lobbying visits. There's this Democrat up in upstate New York. She'd been in, she'd been in power for ten years, and we were like. She said that she was a progressive. We were like, we want you to, um, you, we need you to come out and, you know, come out strong in support of this legislation. She was like, well, you know, I don't know. It's a Republican district. You know, you know, things could turn. I'm like, you've been here for a decade. It's like you have the power mm-hmm. to do something about the issue, but you don't have the courage mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. something on this issue. And so the, a lot of times people in power will be like, they'll say, oh, I can't do X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, 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 you can. 
but you're just choosing. You don't have, yeah. you don't have the tenacity, the determination, or the principles to exercise the power that you actually have um, in, in like the real concrete power. Um, mm-hmm. that That's what have. I was thinking about rolling deep to these places too, is that so often it's just this one person in their office that has all this power to actually make change and nobody comes to that office and like these one-on-ones they could give you the oh well it's a this but when you go to that office and it's filled with like 15 20 when we're exercising people, our, our power, power as right. the people they can't sit in that little corner office by themselves no more. When we were with the general body, they used to do that. Yeah. So the general body was the protest movement uh, that happened at Syracuse in 2014. Uh, that nasty, sniveling uh, Siverud, uh, the chancellor at, uh, what is he, the chancellor? I don't know. He, he's the chancellor and president. He's a, he's a, he's a, a low-life nothing. That's what he's in charge of to me. But he used to try to pull people off, people who he thought he would who would be the most conciliatory. yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so, and like, they would be like, oh, if you, yeah. let's get that one diplomatic nice student to right. come. And we'd be like, nah, yeah. you either all, all of us, either that one person or 10 of us. Right. It's not, it's not yeah. just one person, it's right. 10 of us or 15 of us that are gonna come. Because what that happened meeting. is like we had committees, right? Because we had demands. So we had like the accessibility committee, yeah. we had the um, like environmental and sustainability committee, um, the students of color committee, you know? And it was, it was always like, he even made this comment about, oh, picking between... It's like trying to choose like, one of my favorite children. Well, good. We'll just all show up. Right. Like, that's the answer. That's the solution. And, the, and, the, act, and the, the fact about it is they try to do this thing. Like I like that you talked about like power and courage. Because they try to do this thing to make themselves seem like so vulnerable. That they don't have any so power. And so afraid. And like, oh, the university is just this big, huge place. You are the chancellor and president. You've got power. So, like, literally, you could sit at your... If you could sit at your desk every day and write me a damn email about your dog, you can sit at your desk and send out an email that, like... SU is in opposition of this fucked up thing that's happening. Right. Like, that could be an email that or you send out. we need to find a new ADA coordinator today. ASAP. Right. Or, like, the 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 climate of sexual harassment and assault and anti-queerness on this campus, like, will not be tolerated. That could be an email. Right. You, you have the power. That was another thing. Um, I'm just, like, remembering all this stuff from then. The Student Government Association president, and the grad student organization president, so this is the undergrad, the highest office of undergrad and the highest office a grad student can hold, did not have the power to email students. The SGA yeah. president could not send a mass email to undergrads. The GSO president could not send a mass email to graduate students, right? That is a very particular way that the university limits us making community, us gang-ganging it up. And right. like, like Im- imagine as an undergrad, just sending out an ear and like everybody right. show up, you know? Right. Like, and now, now these offices on campus have this power, but of course they're not gonna like credit us the occupying the, right. the administration building right. um, for allowing them to do so. But every time I get a GSO, come out to the barbecue, blah, 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 I'm like, you're it, welcome. <laughs> it works. Right. It, like, it works when we are like, no, we, this is what you're gonna do for us. And all of us, like it's all of us or nothing, None of, right? 
it just this really is going to be the last thing I say because there's this phrase that I hate and I hear people in organizing use it and it's like I was at a rally one time and this guy was like he's like you know somebody told me that if you're not at the table then you're on the menu and it's like why are there private tables where decisions right. are made that's yeah. the fundamental fucked up problem yeah. right it's like we don't want to be invited to the private table it's like right. we want institutions and um, organizations where we can collectively decide you know our fate and what happens mm-hmm. to us you know what I'm saying so yeah well that's that on that <laughs> <laughs> that's the black ass bottom line alright alright thanks Good. for that word you know I'm sure so hot and riled up I forgot what the next segment is <laughs> Burn it down. Is that a segment? No. Oh, it's a topic, fool. Okay. All right. I'm going to read it. Okay. So the topic segment is just where we like answer listener questions. Um, Today we have a letter from a listener um, or just like stuff that we like really want to talk about but that don't quite fit into our uh, other segments, right? So here's the topic. So I'm going to read the listener letter and then we're going to collectively. Um, discuss, all right? Because it's a live show. Um, all right. So this letter is from Sharkeisha, not real name, if that's not obvious. <laughs> uh, so here's Sharkeisha's letter. Sharkeisha writes, back when I was the first year in college and MySpace was still a thing, that's how uh, connected with other queer or potentially, that's how I connected with other queer or potentially queer women. I was very new to the game, and I was eager to explore my sexuality because I was finally out of my parents' house. So I started talking to this cute older femme, and she asked for full body pics, not nudes, because, again, this is my space days, <laughs> right off the bat. So I asked for my roomie's help, grabbed my digital camera. Wow, this is, like, really That's dating really us. Old, yeah. Uh, and we had an impromptu runway show in our hall of our dorm. I uploaded the pics on MySpace so she could see them, and I get a message back from her saying that she's no longer interested and that I should consider losing weight if I'm going to be gay. I was so hurt because I dealt with fatphobic comments from my family my whole life, so to hear that I wouldn't be accepted in the LGBT community because of my size was low-key devastating. I did eventually learn to embrace being a queer fat femme, but that took years and a lot of self-love. Have either of you dealt with fat phobia in the community? If so, how did you navigate through the bullshit? Sincerely, Sharkeisha. That's a juicy topic. So we have a mic up here just in case this sparked anything for y'all. Um, we definitely, like said, we we very usually it's just us two sitting in my living room with my cat Riri. Riri yeah. So <laughs> so this is like so fun. So if if something does come up for y'all, uh, we have a mic. But Nikita, what did you think reading that letter? Because you were like, we got to do this for the live show. Um. Wow. Um. So I think the thing that was most interesting to me about this, and so it's like I know you, we hear. Uh, specifically amongst, like, queer men, like, no fats, no femmes. Yeah. I don't think I had ever... I have never personally experienced anything so um, explicit. Explicit, yeah. um, Around um, fat phobia. And I think the thing that I've thought about is that I have not always presented as masculine. And, And I think, like, being, like, totally honest and upfront, like, I think I was a lot more... Not to say that I'm not still, but I think I was way more worried 
uh, I think fat phobia impacted me in a different kind of way when I was like femme presenting. Mm-hmm. I think because mm-hmm. I think that the um, I think that the pressures yeah on um, femme presenting or femme identifying folks. Um, I don't know if it's. I, I would say dare dare I say worse mm-hmm. than it is. Um, well, for me personally, then I experience anything like that now. And it's like, I think about, it is so much rooted. And I, I, I guess the thing that made me think about, the, the, one of the first things I thought about was, I think we've talked about fashion before. And it's like, yeah. I think about being a teenager and how much I hated shopping. And one of the reasons why I hated shopping is because all the clothes, all the stores that I was, the, you know, that young, you know, teen, preteen girls are supposed to go to, I was like, all these clothes are garbage and they yeah. make me feel like garbage. Yeah. And so one of the things that, like, I think that um, personally for me, not to say that, like, masculine presenting women or masculine presenting folks don't deal with fat phobia, but I think that that was such a dealing with that and finding clothes that didn't make me feel, like, gross or didn't make me feel like mm-hmm. garbage was, like, a real... I think it's been a really integral part of, like, my gender identity. Wow. Actually, so not finding clothes. You, and it's like, you um, you see a shirt mm. and you be like... I don't know what extra large who that gonna fit on. Well, yeah, <laughs> right? extra large where? <laughs> right, extra large pinky. Stop playing. And so I think that was like the immediate thing. Yeah, that, like um, yeah, that I've thought about. Wow, I didn't even think about how like, I mean, I think I think about it like somewhere like deep back in my mind about how like fat phobia like impacts folks differently depending on like their gender expression. But yeah, like I think. I think a lot about why I'm single, even though I'm such a bad bitch. You really and are. And I think <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do... I don't think. I know. Um, I've never had anything this blatant, yeah. like, you need to lose the weight. But I've had people say something like, um, like, you're not my type, which, like, you you don't like bad bitches? Like, like <laughs> is, that, is that your type? I mean, what what? Is it just, like... Am I too moisturized, hydrated? Like, what is it? Um, <laughs> and so I know, I know it's about like a size thing, right? Um, not to say that I might have like other deficits, like uh, running my mouth too much or stuff like that, but it's definitely obvious, right? Um, and I even think about the celesbians who get popping. And celesbian, when I, I never heard that. Celesbian noun, a lesbian <laughs> who is. <laughs> Who is famous or super popular could be on YouTube, Instagram, or like you know an actress. That's the or next whatever. T-shirt. So lesbian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, <laughs> uh, we're all a lesbian in our own right. Um, but yeah, like none of them that I can like think of off the top of my head are like fat. Mm. That like all the lesbians are not just not just like smaller or thin, but like almost performing like this what what society deems is supposed to be fit in a certain way. Yeah. Like, I, y'all might be way too young for these references, but I'm thinking about like Amber's Closet off of um, like YouTube, Uber, Celesbian, yeah. who is like ripped, right? She's doing like pull-ups, uh, like all this, right? So that's like a certain type of thin body too. It's not right. just thin. Right, right. Or like... As Marie or like Ari Fitz, who are like these, you know, like beautiful celestial beings, but who are very like thin, right? Yeah. And like models and all this stuff. Right. Um, I can't I can't think of any like so it's like the visibility that we get from lesbians also is like 
super thin, like yeah. like no back fat, nothing, right? Like right. not even an inkling of jiggle. Um, and and similarly with like femme presenting folks, it's like a certain type of of like weight distribution that you have to have, right? right. Like so for some reason, people hate belly so much. Yeah. Y'all so mad about belly fat. Spent nine <laughs> months in the belly, now you gonna reject it. That don't even make sense. <laughs> Ridiculous. Why are you so mad about belly fat? It's like, you know, scientifically proven to be the exact same fat that is that occupies your ass, but for some reason, it's it's so beautiful and attractive when it's on the back part of your body. But dare it be near your belly button. (laughs) Um, yeah, and so like all these it's almost like um it's it's not about like who you're actually attracted to because like like Lizzo said it's okay they already in my DMs right like and so I know you're attracted to me is Lizzo but... queer yes yeah. you <laughs> this ain't Curve Chronicles so I'll stay on task <laughs> um, yeah so it's like it's not about like your actual desire because you you like obviously see that these people are attractive and you like are attracted to fat people it's about it's to me it's like this image like you want to take the perfect instagrammable lesbian couple picture and get like thousands of likes mm-hmm. and to and in your mind like being having a fat femme partner would not get you those likes right and so so you want to go for the like the lesbian look or something right um or or even in like public spaces not even on like social media but like being at gay clubs or like being at the bar and stuff. Um, I, like I said, my bio says that I twerk wherever the beat moves me. That is so accurate. So I am obviously shaking every inch of all of this ass that I have in a club, but like, especially queer women. Like, I think queer men in a different way. That's why I have like so many queer men friends because they're like, yes, like they're the ones who will turn up with me. But like lesbians won't come up and dance with me mm-hmm. like that. And, and I'm like, I dance better than the skinny girls. You know, like no shade, all shade. But like, you know, and if if ass and jiggle is what you into, I mean. I'm throwing and- it. I'm throwing it in a hexagon, <laughs> not a circle. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Octagonal ass jiggling. Throwing it in a rhombus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I feel like, how have I dealt with it? Um, I think, like, the basic thing, is, it sounds really, like, easy and kind of yeah. cheesy, but, like, I don't want to be in yep. any relationship where nobody wants to, like, claim me in public or, like... Um, like find me attractive, you know. So, so I think I think in like not as blatant ways of like you should lose weight if you want to yeah. be gay. But I've definitely had people who have shown interest in me who have said stuff like, "Well, yeah, you know, I just really like riding bikes. Like we should go biking sometime." And I'm like, "Oh, cool! I love bike. Let me get my bike out the basement." And they like, she get her big ass on a bike. Yes, like what you think? Right. Fat people do everything. Right. And um. And so, you know, it's like these subtle ways, right? Or, like, it slowly falls off and then, like, suddenly you see them posting pictures with, like, a skinny, dusty version of you. And you're like, oh, that's what happened. Hmm. Um, I think that the piece that you... I don't think that, well, for me at least, desire is not a negotiable thing in a relationship. I think that, I think that you have... I think that you want to be and you should be, like, desired. 
by a partner, if somebody is going to you know, like say or do anything that would even give you the slightest indication, you know, that they're not like, that they don't find you desirable or that, you know, yeah. then I yeah. think, you know, you just got to kick their dusty ass to the curb. But I right. know that that's so much easier said than done. And it's, I mean, the difficult thing about any sort of like exclusion or ma- marginalization is that you can know that the world is not like it's, it's the society's problem. Right. It's like you're not the one that's fucked up. But that doesn't take away from the feeling. Right. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, I think you just have to constantly, constantly, constantly remind yourself that it's like the whole society is just not built, you know, not meant to. It's not it's not structured in a way to um, to like honor you. You know mm-hmm, what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so it's like you have to be around. even. And I know it's not the same like platonic and romantic relationships, but like you said, like even like like when you're in the club and there's men, like the mm-hmm. queer men are like hyping you up. So it's like I think you just got to find like a, a lifelong like hype crew, honestly, yes. who are going to like big you up. And that's why we talk so much about community on this show because it's like all of us, I think so many of us would and often do just like, End up further reduce further yeah. push to the margins because yeah. it's like we don't have the people we don't have a support system for yeah. people who actually see us and care you know care for us and like right. hype us up and big us up yeah because I think it happens in like all kind of different ways I think size is just one way yeah but like even I'm thinking about like skin tone and like complexion like colorism mm. that happens within yeah. the community um, or like these little ways that people will be like. Oh yeah, you like you're not usually my type. I wouldn't usually date somebody like you. That that is like sends these messages. It feels like little needles. Yeah. Yeah. And you're also not doing me no favors. It's like you don't Exactly. Exactly. If you, if you don't want this and you never wanted it, well get the fuck out of my face then. I usually don't date dumb motherfuckers, but here you are. Oh, that's ableist like, money. Uh, dumb? Yes. Oh. We'll talk about it Gosh, in another episode. I gotta find another um, insulting term. Uh, there's a list. We should, we should put it in the show notes of okay. non-ableist ins- insult terms because I love a good insult. Okay. I'll, if I watch enough more Frasier, I feel you like will. I'll stack up on them. I've started binging Frasier because, because I love it, and because like I've ran out of all my good shows. So. So, any other thoughts on the topic? I think. I think that's all the fat thoughts I have. Fat, 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 pee. fat thoughts. Pat, pretty hot and tempting. Remember that? These kids are too young to remember. They're way too young. That that period. But they're old enough to remember. Um, they're not. Oh. They're not. Okay. They're not. Anyway. They're born in what, like 2099? So, oh, six, six, oh gosh. six. <sighs> so I guess the, the, the takeaway from that is like, in any space, you shouldn't be pursuing, or you should like. I know it's hard, but like, try to rein in that like desire to be in a relationship with somebody who doesn't desire you. Yeah, because yeah. it's just gonna cause you like such such pain in the long run. And it, I feel like it does long term pain too, yeah. not just in that moment, but to constantly get these messages that you're not attractive, like it hurts. And I feel like it's not it's not gonna go away. There's not gonna be some magic moment where that person's gonna stop being an awful. Person. Right, I right. think I think that's like the takeaway. Yeah, that they're like, like, oh well, know. you know, I said that one fat phobic thing, but on everything else, I'm ready for the revolution. Exactly, <laughs> it's not it's, it's not gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, do because you know these kids be shy, so you know they just oh I don't have anything to say or oh, I don't know. Well, it's it's like a good time because we just that's wrapping up the topic and we we can move into our final segment, which is curved chronicles. Curved, 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 curved. 
Yes. And this is just the segment where we talk about the woes and the wins of our dating lives. Um, and yeah, so if y'all have Curve Chronicles or thoughts from the letter, y'all can jump in. Feel free. I'll give it a minute. Do you, uh, Maybe we should warm up with the Curved Chronicle. Oh, like an example? Yeah. Okay. So um, <laughs> I have wrote down a few. I didn't like know exactly which one I wanted to do. But you have one. It's not a recent one. I was just thinking about this segment. It's not even an interesting one. I just remember it was like when I first moved to Syracuse, we went to this party. It was so fun. And like I'm not an outgoing person. I would never ask um, anybody out or anything. But We I got asked, that from curmudgeon. Well, maybe I just wanted to expound. <laughs> On your hatred of people? Go ahead. <laughs> it's not about a hatred of people. This is neither here nor there. Anyway, and so I'm not an extroverted person. Certainly not going to approach anybody. And I, we were going out to some party, and I asked this girl to go out to a party. And I was just like, hey, like, you should come. And I avoided her the whole time because I'm a weirdo and an introvert. And I was just, and so I, like, I avoided her. I stayed away from her. And I was like, oh, okay, sorry. And then like later, I, and I texted her, and I was like, hey, you had a great, such a great time. Thanks for coming to the party. But I didn't interact with her at all. <laughs> and naturally, she didn't respond. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like reflecting on that. I'm glad I've grown from, I've, I've grown. Wait, that's the, that's the Curve Chronicles you said you thought about and got mad about all over again? Yeah, because I she, she could have at least been like, no. she could have at least responded. No, I hope you got mad at yourself. Why would I be mad at me? Because you don't invite somebody to a party. Did she know anybody else there? I remember. No. <laughs> <laughs> and you avoid, avoid her the whole night? I'm, I'm not good at social interaction. You know this. I would have... I would have blocked your number and told all my friends how trash you are. Okay. I feel like I've been on the other side of that interaction so many times. Oh, I'm sorry. You're a monster. I'm not. I'm just, I'm not a monster. Anymore? Anymore. Huh? I'm just saying it's hard dating being an introvert. Oh, sure. Um, I was going to talk about this one, but I feel like I can't take enough of the details away and she might listen. So. <laughs> you, I used to be, you have to use her name. At the, in the old episodes, y'all, I used to be real reckless. I was naming names. I was I was giving locations. She was like the feds in the I, old episodes. In the Curve Chronicles in the old episodes, I'll be like, Elizabeth, who attends Tuskegee <laughs> University, she's a fifth year senior. Like, I would really. And she's <laughs> trash. <laughs> I remember, because when I wasn't a co-host, I would be listening in my car, and I'd be like, I can't believe she just said that. And I'm like, I know her. I know what she's talking about. But I've learned. Curved Chronicles? Responses to the letter? Well, I, I had thoughts about the letter. Um, I'm trying to remember parts of the letter. I think at one point they said something like, um, they've like come to terms with being like a fat um femme mm -hmm. queer person and i think like being fat your femininity has such a higher threshold i talk about this all uh, the time yeah like yeah you have to be like up here wearing exactly. like crinoline skirts exactly. and like pumps all the fucking time yeah. or else you're just like you're pretending right yeah. um mm. and i also think um i, I watch caleb luna a lot he's or uh, they're on Instagram and stuff and uh, I was at a panel of theirs at NWSA they talk about fatness and like um, 
we got into this discussion of like, when you put all of the isms in the world together, you get this ideal person. And this ideal person is male and they're heterosexual and they're cisgender and they're wealthy and uh, they're thin. So mm-hmm. when you're not one of those things, you're, you're failing like this structure. So um, there is a lot of racism in, in the queer community yeah. and classism and um, all of those kinds of things. So um, it also reminds me of your word kind of like um queerness should be like more expansive than that mm-hmm. of like having these intense like body requirements mm-hmm. you you can't be um because when you're asking when you're saying someone you need to lose weight or you need to be a certain size like you're just asking them to fall in line with all of these like systems of power that create this preferred person which is fucked up yeah. um and like queerness can do so much more than that like right. it doesn't have to be one or the other like you mentioned about like either you're born gay or you're not like it can be so much more and so much further than that um yeah so I feel for that person. Yeah. Makes me sad. Yeah. Um, but like, fuck, fuck that person. Exactly. Like, Who needs them? Fuck her. I hope she's still on MySpace. Right. <laughs> and I hope she only had. She probably ain't got. She ain't had nobody in her top eight. Nobody. <laughs> Just Tom looking at the whiteboard like. <laughs> um, Do these kids even they, get these? They're kids? like, huh? They don't know. Top like, eight. Who's um, MySpace? Their space. Our space. Whose yeah. space? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But that, like, I talk about that so much. Like, my friends lovingly tease me about, like, always having a look. You know, like, I, I, I you know, I dress cute. But I feel like I have to, you know, like, mm. as a as a, a black queer femme, right? It's like, I can't leave my house in sweatpants and a t-shirt and, like, roll up to a party and somebody be like, that's the baddie I want to holler at. Right. Like I like it's I know it's internalized like fat phobia and, sure. and also partly like racism about like I'm going to be looked at as like lazy, a yeah. slob, like yeah. all of the stereotypes, all the things that people think and assume about like fat bodies and mm-hmm, also black mm-hmm. bodies, right? Like I can't I can't move through the world in that way and be like received in the way that I want to be received. And so so some of it is like resistance, but also it's like this is this is kind of like my energy, and and if if I wore anything else, you wouldn't act, you wouldn't genuinely take the time to feel my energy. Mm. So it's like I have to project it before 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 I even come into a sure. space. And I feel like for me personally, I'm talking now. I'm, go ahead, I'm, go ahead. Um, like uh, living, I I come from South Florida. I'm from a very warm climate. You know, I've never had to worry about boots or long pants or jackets. So like being femme in the winter is like yeah. a whole oh, ass another wow. level. Yeah. And then like finding femme clothing in larger sizes. Mm-hmm. So it's like all these additional layers of like you have to have the money to do yep. it. Yes. And the access because we live in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And um then you always have to perform this. Yeah. Like you can never have an off day or someone's like, Are you sick? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh right. my gosh, yeah. it's so accurate. You feeling all right? Right. And my my partner now is like you're the most femme person I've ever dated, and I've ne- like I've never been read that way before mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I feel like people hold such higher standards. Yes. Yeah. and it's yeah. fucked up. I just keep saying it's fucked up. It is fucked up. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the thing that I like I keep going back to is that just the fact that somebody would say that out loud to me just like people just feel so comfortable like trying to discipline a fat body. Oh yeah, like that. I mean, just like just to say that, to right? Somebody. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's all kinds of other oppressive, fucked up things that you know people say, but I feel like that one is like yeah. that's when I feel like there's like so much permission and so mm-hmm. much allowance for it in society to be like, you need to do this to your fat body, yeah. right? Yeah. Because again, going back to your, um, I mean, it's just I mean, something that we all know is like all these things that are read onto like fat bodies about you know being a slob or you know not having ambition and all these other kinds yeah. of things. Yeah. Hmm. Or like, dare you say you don't eat something? Right. Uh huh. You have dietary restrictions. Yes. You right. <laughs> yeah. It's fucked up. Right. <laughs> That's the black ass bottom line. Yeah. So I think we did a live show. I think so. Yes. Thank y'all for coming out in the snow to kick it with us and follow us on all the things at Queer Walk Pod. Again, you can listen to the podcast on Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and what's the other one I'm forgetting? You say Apple Podcast? Oh, that one. She be she be playing Apple. I don't have Apple products, so IDK. Anyway, well, <laughs> wrap it up. Bye, y'all. <laughs>